This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News. Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. A whopping 21 people have qualified to run in the newly drawn Congressional District 2 race. The deadline for the qualifying applications was this past Friday. House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels announced his plans to run in the race Thursday night and early Friday morning and joined and joined four other Democrat state lawmakers who had already thrown their hat into the ring. After Daniels made that decision, eight other people then joined the Democrat primary race on Friday, bringing the total to 13. On the Republican side, that number has now grown to eight, with five others jumping in on the last day to qualify after three had already entered the race. One of the stand out names that is now part of the Republican primary lineup in this race is Wallace Gilbert, who is a former football player for the Crimson Tide, who also played for the NFL for nine seasons. The primary election will be held this coming March 5th. 1819 News CEO Brian Dawson, along with Editor-in-Chief Jeff Poor, sat down together to discuss the Bubba Copeland story that unfortunately ends with Copeland's suicide. Dawson and Poor discussed why the story of Copeland's secret transgender-promoting social media posts were revealed on the 1819 News website, since Copeland was serving in public office both as the mayor of Smith Station and the pastor of a Baptist church. It goes from a story that what happens if we do it to what happens if we don't do it. So we proceeded with the first story and laid it all out there. We didn't do a victory lap. You can go back and look that next day. Um, we, we, we declined radio interviews about it. We really did not feel really good about this one. And that's what happened. Yeah. And now, now we're at the, we're now, now we're all getting into the next day and mayor Copeland preaches from the pulpit of his church on Wednesday night says he did nothing wrong. And I think that's a subjective call. Whatever you want to do with that is fine. But when you do a big story like this, when you put this out there and it's a big splash, it has a ripple effect. And people started coming forward with other details about Mayor Copeland. And we are still getting details about Mayor Copeland, by the way. But this one, this one here with the the fiction he was writing and the subjects being members of the community and the meme that Brian described all of this, I want you to think about this. A mayor, a mayor, a public official in a town is writing slasher, erotica, pornographic fiction about someone in his community. And you're telling me that's not a story that 1819 or anybody should do. You're just wrong. Okay. Yeah. It's unfortunate what happened after this, but in the lead up to that, I feel like we were justified. We were solid ground. And we can agree to disagree or whatever, but that's how we came to our conclusion. Yeah, no, and that's it. Um, I 100% stand behind our reporting. I'm not budging an inch. We we did exactly what we were created to do. Um, did what I said we would do when we started 1819 News, and and that is tell the truth, come what may. This whole discussion can be found on the 1819 News podcast, which can be found on the 1819 News website under the podcast tab. The Speaker of the Alabama House, Nathaniel Ledbetter, says a report on illegal gambling within Alabama shows far more operations than even he suspected. Ledbetter says a special committee within the state legislature has found that in Jefferson County alone, there were 70 bingo operations. 
Ledbetter thought that there would be only 50 to 60 illegal operations throughout the whole state. Ledbetter says it's a priority to shut down illegal bingo halls because it's a gateway for more serious crimes. He even cited an incident that occurred this past summer in North Alabama where a woman died from taking a pill that was laced with fentanyl, but no emergency personnel were called in out of fear that the gaming operation would be shut down. Authorities in Lauderdale County are concerned about an elderly woman who appears to have been kidnapped by her son. The Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office is looking for 78-year-old Marianne Moore, who was last seen on November 3rd withdrawing a large sum of money from her bank. She was also in the company of her son, Christopher Moore, who investigators say has a criminal past as well as drug activity. The two are believed to be without a car and possibly in the Lexington area near the Tennessee state line. The North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church is stepping in to help Birmingham Southern College. The Board of Pension and Health Benefits voted and approved a $2.5 million investment into BSC. That investment is contingent upon there being help pledged by the city of Birmingham that matches that amount or exceeds it. The UMC is seeking to help the college continue its operations as they build up their permanent endowment. The board made the decision to invest in the college as a way of furthering the social principles that are espoused by the UMC denomination. Thousands of people enjoyed the National Peanut Festival Parade in Dothan. It was held on Veterans Day this past weekend. Those who organized the parade had beefed up security as a result of a fatal shooting that occurred last year right after the parade ended. This event occurred without incident and with high crowd turnout, and it also included military units such as the Civil Air Patrol and JROTC from the area who took part in the parade. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, five military personnel have died after an aircraft went down in the Mediterranean Sea. The aircraft was part of a training exercise, according to the U.S. European Command, and the downing of the aircraft was not part of any hostile activity occurring in the Middle East. The crash occurred on November 10th, and an investigation is underway. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson is offering a two-step plan for passing all of the government spending bills and avoiding a government shutdown. Johnson is calling it a laddered continuing resolution. The first part extends the current government funding for certain programs until January 19th. The second part would extend the funding until February 2nd. This would avoid a shutdown while also giving Congress more time to work on their spending bills, which have not yet passed. It's very unclear if Democrats will get on board with Johnson's proposal since they don't want any spending cuts done to the 2023 spending bills. Some Republicans are indicating a hesitancy to join Johnson in this plan because they're concerned about spending cuts being taken off the table in order for this CR to be approved by Democrats. Over in Georgia, there's a lot still in the works when it comes to the 2020 election and issues of election integrity. Last week, the news came out that two lawyers assigned to a case to defend the state from a lawsuit coming out of voter GA have now asked to be removed from the case. That lawsuit from voter GA is seeking to lay hands and eyes on 150,000 ballots for inspection since they were identified as being irregular regarding paper that was used, as well as the filled-in ovals that appeared to be done by a printer rather than a human hand. A judge recently decided that this case would move forward after voter GA appealed to a higher court. Now, in another case, 
A district judge has ruled that a trial against Dominion Voting Systems can move forward. Judge Amy Totenberg issued a 135-page ruling in regards to a lawsuit that was filed before the 2020 presidential election. It was filed back in 2017, and the plaintiffs in this case are seeking to completely remove the Dominion Voting System and move to hand-marked ballots, citing that Dominion Voting Systems have cybersecurity flaws. The judge said a date for a January 9th bench trial. There will be no jury. The judge said that the two sides must reach a resolution, but she also noted in her ruling that she cannot order the state legislature to move completely to paper ballots, even if the plaintiffs present compelling evidence to support their claims. The plaintiff's attorney, David Cross, says that he is looking forward to presenting all of the evidence to the judge and obtaining critical relief for Georgia voters. The actor on a Netflix series called Tiny Pretty Things revealed over the weekend that he has been diagnosed with brain cancer. Barton Cowperweight is only 31 years old and has a stage 2 glioma. He says the only path forward is brain surgery. In past reports here, I have featured the audio of many doctors who have testified to the increase of tumors, cancer, strokes, and heart attacks in the past two years, ever since the release of the COVID-19 vaccine. And just a few weeks ago, I featured for every day of the week, a discussion between scientists who tested the plasmid contents of the COVID-19 vaccine and found not just DNA fragments, which is bad enough, since they're not supposed to be there, according to pharmaceutical statements, but DNA fragments of the SV40 strand, which has been labeled a cancer-activating DNA. So I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm just going to tell you another person has announced that they have a brain tumor, and they're very, very young. Last week, I also featured a massive report coming from the House Judiciary Committee on the weaponization of government. The report introduced the whole concept of the industrial censorship complex and listed some key players from within educational institutions like Stanford University and government agencies that operate under the umbrella of the Department of Homeland Security. Here is independent journalist and best-selling author Michael Schellenberger breaking down a government agency promo video that was introducing the whole idea of government partnership with other institutions in order to make Americans safe from disinformation or misinformation. Hi, my name is Renee Duresta, and I'm the research manager at Stanford Internet Observatory. Today, to kick off this session, I'm going to be talking about the power of partnerships. Now I want to stop with that. That, So this is about the power of partnerships. What she's referring to is the censorship industrial complex. That's what partnerships are. The partnership in this case is between the Department of Homeland Security Organization, CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure uh, Security uh, Agency, and these particularly these four groups, Stanford, University of Washington, Atlantic Council's Disinformation Forensics Lab, and Graphica, which is a research organization, supposedly a research organization. Those four groups are basically being subcontracted out by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security to demand more censorship by social media platforms. That's what she's describing here. And I view this video as a way to sort of normalize this process of government censorship of social media platforms. There's an argument that's, that's occurring right now where people say this is totally fine. Governments have a right to tell the platforms that they have an opinion about what they should have on the platforms. And while that's technically true, when you have politicians, including the President of the United States, simultaneously threatening to take away their license to operate in the form of Section 230, when Congress is actively um, considering taking away Section 230, and it's all happening behind closed doors, secretly, between these four groups and the social media platform executives, it's a secretive censorship process and it has to be understood as that. This is not happening out in the open. I think the videos, which of course nobody sees, nobody knows of, they don't publicize, 
they get created to sort of say, hey, yeah, we were, we were transparent about it, even though everything that they're describing in here that they were doing to pressure the social media platforms to censor more was done secretly behind the scenes without any public transparency or visibility into what they were doing. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. If you are enjoying The Daily Detail and want to make sure that these reports come up easily on your smartphone, then be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button on whatever podcasting app you are using. It's usually on the main page of The Daily Detail. That could be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, or some other app. And also be sure to visit 1819 News for more reliable, up-to-date information on what's going on around here in Alabama. You can also join 1819 News by becoming a member, which will get you exclusive content as well as 1819 merchandise. You can visit 1819news.com backslash membership to learn more. I'm Andrea Tice. I'll be back again tomorrow. I look forward to updating you then. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 